We're back. Episode 13. 14. Don't do this. 14. Yeah. Bleep this out. Um, episode 14. Episode 14. We're back. We're saying mixed energy here today. Master, we're hot. We're cold. Master Keys Podcast. You're on with Neil Andrino. Yes. Chandler Halliburton. Chandler Halliburton. Yeah. Mixed emotion day. There's just a lot going on. I The start things uh, off, I showed up half an hour late. Yeah. We've, we've talked about that at length. Almost in every episode. Neil's tardy. Tardy by nature. Yes. Fashionably late, I think. Tardy by the... nature. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> Neil's down to OPP and he's tardy by nature. I uh, Fashionably late. It's a good... I watched something one time and he said you should always be late by a few minutes because it creates a perception that you're really busy. Uh, that sounds terrible, I think. It does sound terrible, but that's what I use to justify it in my head when I'm late to a lot of things. Gotcha. Maybe it's because I stack too many things really close together. Yeah, and, and and I think also we are supposed to do this 15 – you you moved it by 15 minutes and then showed up half an hour late. So I should have moved it by 45. Yeah, yeah, you under, undershot. Maybe Over I moved it by an hour and then I showed up a few minutes early. Yeah, yeah, That's, that'd be good. See, I'm I'm the opposite. I show up early and it drives my wife crazy. And I think some people, they hate that. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, c- come over around 7 and I'm there at 7 o'clock. And they're like, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You're here already? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm prompt. If man. I want people at my house for 8, I tell them like 6.37 because I know they're showing up at 8. Yeah. Yeah, see, I'd be there at six thirty, being like, "What's going on?" <laughs> but I mean, that's a little, it can be a little awkward. But yeah, uh, that's good. Your clients probably love it. Yeah, I think it's. I, I was actually told someone's like, "No, arrive exactly uh, on time." If Same thing were, when you go, going for like listing appointments and whatnot. Like, do not arrive a minute early, but also don't be late. So it's like, okay, that gives you one window of opportunity, which is arrive right on time. It stresses me out like. when a client texts me like, "I have a showing with them in half an hour," and they just text me like, "Hey." No pressure. We're we're just here, and I'm like <laughs> I'm in like the other side of the city, like absolutely hauling ass. Neil's like who, new phone. Who dis? Yeah, and I'm like I'm hopping on the highway, like doing like a buck forty. Like let's get to this appointment, and they're like, yeah, we're already here, and I'm like, well, I mean, like it depends if they're early. If they're early, they can be like, yeah, that's great. I'll see you when I get there. I'll see you at three o'clock on the dot, like we booked. Yeah. Now I did notice when you pulled in, there was a nice big rumbling noise. Like, <laughs> what are you driving? <laughs> Uh, I have a, it's a regular, uh, it's a Mercedes. Why do you have the child muffler on there? That's the Mercedes muffler. Oh, really? Yes. You've got a hole in your Mercedes muffler, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, no, it's an AMG. So it's designed to be very fast and very loud. Oh, that's right. You can go take it on the racetracks, can't you? I could technically take it on a racetrack and I could also then haul four people in it, or five people in it, technically in comfort. I don't call it comfortable, mm. but anyways, it's a cool car for me. It's a little obnoxious, and I do usually wait for my clients to close the doors in their cars before I start it, which is embarrassing, <laughs> as, which is very embarrassing. That's and there funny. is also a button that I can turn the exhaust down. Right. So you I just, just neglect, uh, you just don't want to press that button. I typically turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> I actively turn it up, actually. Oh, man, I but, love it. No, we heard you coming. We heard you coming. I wanted sure. you to know that I was almost here. Yeah. Other than being late and having a loud car, what's going on this week? What's the um, news Not much. Uh, I don't know. Last week I hadn't closed on those ones yet that had the some environmental issues and all that. Yeah. Bought them all. Uh, we actually closed the environmental file because they found, the seller found you his Enviro report. And so I got NSC yeah, like, happy. What, what, this old thing? Yeah. Yeah. Which he neglected to bring up for like six months. In fairness. I didn't request it. Yeah. There it is. There it is, folks. I didn't request it, but then when I did, said adamantly said did not have it. 
Okay. And for Weird. weeks, I had to bitch and hmm. fight. And then when I was like, all right, I'm not going to close because I can't close. Like, this thing's got title issues. Like, my lawyer's like, I can't close this thing with Enviro issues on the title. And mm-hmm. then, then the next day, kaboom, there it is on the desk. And Weird. NS Environment, I'll give it to them. They were fast as anything. They reviewed it, agreed that it was all good. Literally within like six hours, we had a, f- a letter from them saying files closed and compiled. I wonder if he misunderstood what we were looking for. No, or misunderstood his own uh, phase. What was it? it? Would have been a phase two, presumably. Yeah, it was phase two. Yeah, he might have misunderstood because some people like it has presence, like it is detected, but it's yeah. you know the possible limit. He might have thought that that was going to ruin your financing, regardless, and then maybe someone advised him better. I think um, so, yeah, because it did it did have some contaminants, yeah, but it's it's well below today's standard. And actually, surprisingly, I found out today's standard is actually lower than it was like ten years ago, in mm-hmm. the, or I guess higher. So you can have more stuff in your soil today than you could ten years ago. Because in my head, I was thinking like I was talking to these environment guys, like let me guess, like that it's old that environment was, from yeah, yeah from that one that you just passed with, it's going to be way more strict. He's like. Surprisingly, they increased the parts per million that you're allowed to have in the soil because it was at it was at an almost unachievable level where people were spending like three hundred grand just like recleaning the same dirt fifteen times. Yeah, people in other areas of the country or, or wherever may not understand this, but we love us some oil out here. All of our properties in a greasy here, old steel tank. Oh my gosh! Everyone that comes here from other areas, like, what is this? giant tank here. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's filled with oil. Yeah, it's Raw. rusting and it's in your backyard, but that's what it is. And they're more used to natural gas or, or different forms of electric or, or whatever, but people are blown away when they see all the oil here. And yeah. I think that's probably why the Department of Environment started to relax some of these things because you were getting to these issues around all these development sites, especially in the core, where mm-hmm. You dig down, like you're hitting oil. It doesn't matter if you've never had oil there for 30 years because it could come from your neighbor or this property or down the way or, yeah, you wouldn't get anything done. To double down, not only were they in these steel rusting tanks, they thought it was even better 60 years ago to put them underground. Oh, yeah. They're like, bury it. So you can't monitor this thing at all. Yeah. You're just kind of guessing and hoping. Like new uh, gas stations now, they use composite tanks, which makes sense. Yeah. But then they were just putting steel tanks full of oil underground. So they're constantly wet. <laughs> yeah. Even when you think of like the threaded, like have you ever seen an oil tank in the threaded line of your 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 stack pipe and, and your fill pipe? Yeah. Um, it's usually like a black cast iron oh, or something like dripping. that. Yeah, it's dripping because the threads or, or, or what have you. That's just like dripping underground. <laughs> and no one's the wiser until Neil buys it years later. And then it's all my um, fault. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. good. I'm glad you got those closed. That. And then, I mean, if you're watching, this was an award that I had behind my chair. This yeah. week, made of glass, and I bumped my chair on the shelf, and it shattered over me. Oh, so that's poor my guy. sad. That's my sad moment. The happy moment was closing. The sad moment follows with shattered awards and yeah. hopes and dreams. I actually just moved a bunch of those because uh, we're changing offices with Remax, right? So I had I to pack that. up a box of awards and put them outside my office, and just like hope someone moves them to the new office. I think that's gonna happen. I'm just like, I need this moved at the new office. So hopefully they get those down there. But yeah, good. Cool, man. So what did you get done this week? Uh, Well, it was Canadian Thanksgiving here. So I was away in Cape Breton with the family, which is great. Uh, Working on a couple deals remotely, um, continuing through that purchase and the refinance and all that. I had a really good meeting with another seller who I think we've got the understanding of a deal whenever he's ready to pull the trigger on it, which is good. Just for you personally? 
Yeah, yeah. Another Twelve units. Two units. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you misspoke or that's <laughs> sorry. Hi. Um, Twelve unit in a really, really, really good location, and then uh, a couple meetings with uh, the builder for my project on Portland Street. That's Lindsay Construction. Just getting down to brass tacks, finalizing floor plans. I'm uh, going to start picking out fixtures here soon, putting all the things out to bid now, looking to start moving dirt early new year, January, February, to move some dirt around. Ooh. Guess how much the building permit is? Let me say hundred grand. You would be wrong. You'd be low. So this was one thing that when I uh, when we talked about this, like how much my water permit costs, and I think it was like – 90,000 bucks. It was uh, $1,500 per unit, which was actually going up quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, the building permit's going to be around 180. 180, just- Water permit? The water was the one that was, I think, 90,000. So I already paid the water permit. Now I have to pay the actual building permit. So 300,000 in permits? Yeah. And you haven't moved a piece of dirt? No, this is just for the permission to move said dirt and to one day connect to water. And then the documentation you had to provide to get those permits? Oh, gosh. Another hundred grand? Uh, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm well over a hundred in, in soft costs, getting to here, engineering, architecture, all that sort of stuff. So today. we're looking at a half million dollars to move some dirt. Yeah, yeah. Which is perfectly fine. Like I, I don't mind paying people for their, their, their knowledge and their drawings and these things. To have it just go straight to the municipality or Halifax Water, which is the municipality, but kind of is. Mm -hmm. It's like, damn. It's better go to make it some nice affordable units somewhere. <laughs> you better take this money and make some affordable <laughs> units because I don't want to hear about this. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, on, on that same note, I mean, I've been talking to you a bit about it for the last week, but two different sites for me potentially. Yeah. 70 units on each. One is a little bit of a, I would call a bit of a marquee location, a bit of a cool location, mm -hmm. and the other is not as cool of a location, but also a decent site. So yeah, I'm trying to analyze those and get my understanding because I don't know build costs and the values and stuff. Oh, 205. I, I texted you to that. You said yeah, that to yeah. me, yeah. My build out foot. per square foot is about $205 plus HST plus land cost. Obviously, land cost is my own and that's different sub property to property. Um, that's to build concrete, two levels of or one and a half levels of underground parking. Challenging site to some degree, so it maybe skews on the high end and we're required to meet a lot of architectural limitations within this area. So some people out there might be like, that is absolutely ludicrous price per square foot. But if you understand kind of the nuance of the location, our requirements here, and that that's Canadian dollars, that's sort of pretty and reasonable. That doesn't even touch on the 500K we already mentioned earlier. Oh, gosh. No, no, that's just a building. Yeah, that's just account for soft costs yeah. and all that. So Yeah, okay. Well, I'm hoping to be able to come up with some numbers that There's a way sense. better site than both those that came up on the market today. On public market? Yep. We'll talk about that off air. Okay. Talk to you after that. But we may have a conflict because <laughs> I want it. <laughs> so like, okay. we, we can talk about that. Okay. Well, yeah. So today, What else is in the news? Yeah. Let's talk about some of the news. There's lots of news about affordable units going all over the place and housing yep. co-ops going crazy and stuff like that. You have most of the fill on that, so let me hear about it. Well, uh, Habitat for Humanity, which probably everyone has heard of or a lot of people have heard of, they kind of released plans or made public or or got some press for 70 units in the Spryfield area, which is is awesome. It's bomb. I'm a big advocate, as people know, that, that the government has to run and manage these buildings and build them and so on and so forth. However, giving money to really solidly run nonprofits and co-ops and things like that can certainly provide part of the solution. And Habitat for Humanity, putting 70 units out in Spryfield is going to be fantastic. 
Yeah. Is it on the lot that uh, is off Drysdale there? It's kind of tucked away in the corner? I don't know. I kind of assumed it was up in that range, but man, things were blowing up around there so much that I thought they might have moved it a few blocks further out. It is um, nuts. Yeah, but there there was already some affordable or subsidized housing built in around that area. So that would make sense. But that's from going back decades or a little bit a while ago. The uh, the crazy the reason I brought that lot up too is it's I know the way it worked is that lot is abutting two basically behind two streets. So one street is a low rise residential like single families townhouses. Mm-hmm. The other street is like low rise multi units like 10, 12, 15 unit buildings. And 50, 60 years ago, that land was attached to two of the biggest buildings on that street, which are probably about 100 units each. And the seller of those buildings sold the buildings off, or sorry, he sold parceled, the land off. Yeah. He, sold, he parceled it and sold the land off, kept the buildings. And part of parceling it, he said that no one's allowed to build apartment buildings or multi-units on that land. Really? And he sold it to, I think, Habitat of Humanity. Oh. And so now they're trying to get that overturned because they have this massive parcel of land, which is actually zoned for multi-units. That's got to be the one, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so they've been battling with that for a long time. And I don't know that it's it, but I, I would imagine that it is. And he must have sold off those buildings at this point. I think they've, they've traded hands yeah. too, which I think is crazy because now that rule still applies to the land. So there is a, actually, you know, um, near Pleasant Street, you know that strip mall there? Yes. Um, Sobeys used to be in there. Tanner, I've been trying to buy that, but I think it's out of our price range. There used to be a Sobeys there. And when Sobeys up and left and opened Russell Lake, one of their stipulations, or maybe maybe they still own the I don't know. There's like a stipulation there that there could be no grocer in that area. So no way. That's why there's no grocery store because it needs one so badly. Don't even get don't even get my community Facebook group started. Oh. Everyone is like, oh, there should be a grocery store. There wasn't a grocery store. It's like, well, because there was some thing in there attached to that property that there can be no grocer there. Yeah. Like, let's bring up this map for a sec. There is a huge density in, I mean, in Southdale, uh, Dartmouth. I also love that little nook. That, that See that little uh, nook yeah. that's not there? That's the Woodside Tavern, which is like a great little That's hilarious. ironic. Again, for people liner. listening, this is a full-size neighborhood. I would say how many people live in Southdale? I don't know. Man. Whatever. But it's a fair, fairly large neighborhood. It's well-developed. And right in the middle of it, on the main street, there's a large strip mall, which would have been definitely for a grocery store at one point It had in time. a grocery store. Yeah, because yeah. it has a massive parking lot. Today, it's just a bunch of random little shops. The U-Hauls um, is there now, and then that's the Woodside Tavern. Shout but this neighborhood Tavern. has no proximity. And this is also close to downtown Dartmouth, which is... Yeah, like a lot of people are going to look at this like, oh, this is like generic urban sprawl. You know, you've seen this everywhere. It's like, no, no, you continue down this road, and it's like the core of downtown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it needs it yeah. so bad. It's crazy because even yeah. Eastern Passage and Woodside, the neighborhoods that are just past us on the other side of the highway, yeah. they also have nothing. Yeah. But it's crazy how these, how these like, they allow someone privately to just be like, yeah, I'll sell this, but I'm going to put some yeah, crazy covenant and rule yeah, on totally. it. And then it just holds for the test of time. Like that yeah. part blows my mind. I mean, if I was probably the one making the rule, I'd be like, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. But right now, it's, from this standpoint, I'm like, this is insanity. Yeah, it's weird that you can attach things that supersede like bylaws and planning rules. It, it, it seems like that wouldn't hold up push come to shove. And then it's also like who would fight it? So well, if yeah. that person's then sold those properties multiple times, it's up to the new owners. And I would just approach the new owners and be like, hey, can we knock this off? Like what's a, what do I got to pay you to get rid of this thing? Which is probably what the other owners are waiting on. Yeah. Well, Interesting. good news is I bought a house right around the corner from the strip mall. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start selling groceries out of it. There we go. So, Neil's convenience. Neil's convenience. We got your lawn mowing. We got your used cars. We got your late real estate advice. Time to start selling bananas. Yep. 
It's always so, money in the banana stand. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard me say it before. I will say it again. Squeeze that lemon. What else? Um, so then there's another group. So interestingly, that's what Habitat for Humanity is, has got coming down the pipeline in Spryfield area, which is great. And then there was a co-op in Moncton that was having difficulty because they sort of said as a co-op, they don't qualify for the same financing as, say, a REIT or just a, a big corporation or even a private individual. And they're having trouble because they're out there competing in a hot market where even if they want to go out there and get new product to try to get it financed in a timely fashion is very, very, very difficult. A lot of these organizations don't work off financing. They work Mm -hmm. off like cash, basically. Um, So some of these things, when the government's throwing all this money around, you hope that it um, reaches these organizations quickly and they don't have to go through the same development and planning and financing process that the rest of us go through because at least you know we're doing that as private individuals for a profit some of these nonprofits and and co-ops and things like that they should be fast tracked in some way shape or form but they're still going to have the challenge of going out there and bidding against people for this land that other people are like no no I want to pay full freight for that land oh, yeah. um so they're going to have their hands and landing you know. contractors well yeah that's right now like that's right a now. huge battle in itself and so yeah it's a bidding war on that. Speaking of which, other thing in the news, jobs are up in Canada here. Yeah. Yeah, 157,000 new jobs were created in September. I don't actually like the wording of that, new jobs were created. It's more like old jobs were recovered. I think that's what a lot of right? it is, yeah. Um, because this now puts our total job count at the same or even above slightly perhaps or the same as pre-pandemic levels. So I guess the issue there though is that while the job numbers are back, the hours aren't necessarily what they were. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think the employment rate is, is, they're saying, coming back to what it was pre-pandemic exactly. Um, September versus September, though, I heard, for Nova Scotia at least, was not quite as exciting as they were hoping, um, which I found very odd. We weren't down as much as the rest of the country, though. We also, yeah, that's true. We also, exactly. So our recovery would be a little bit less in comparison because it's not as, as deflated. But like I know here, like everyone is hunting for people for everything. I was going to go down this road and where I've noticed it is the food and beverage industry. Oh, restaurants so, are shut down because they don't have people. Man, my wife and I, we kind of have this standing date every Wednesday. We go to lunch. Mm-hmm. And normally we have a nice selection. We're fortunate here, man. There's some great food. If you're a food person looking to spend time in the East Coast, Halifax has some phenomenal a ton um, of options. Yeah, man. It's, it's great. We're spoiled here. Normally. Right now, man, I can't get lunch anywhere. They're all closed for lunch. Yeah. And the issue is staffing. I couldn't believe it, man. I was blown away. We normally have, you know, 12 places that we kind of rotate through, and most of them were closed for lunch. And this is on a Wednesday. Yeah. Not a holiday, not anything. Closed for lunch because they don't have staffing. And when we were in Cape Breton, Cape Breton's always hit or miss because it's, it's a tourist-type place where we were. Yeah. And I was, I, you know, a lot of places were closed. I'm like, okay, they must be winding down the tour season. And I asked some people, and they're like, no, we just have no one to work. They can't, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's like the lodges around the province. There's a few, uh, what's the big lodge that was recently purchased by a developer in town? I think uh, not Bank, Group, Bank Group purchased a... Yeah, I know uh, which one you mean. I can't think of it. I can't remember the name of it either right off the top of my head. But they purchased the lodge, and they cannot find people. They renovated the whole place. They're getting the bookings. And now he's doing moving incentives and like... Uh, relocation incentives for people to come work there and the pays yeah. are way up. And every anyone in these resorts, same thing with Cape Breton, everywhere I went, signs looking for people, looking for people, looking for people. And yeah. then same in town, it's looking for people. But then and on the flip side, I hear people being like, there's no jobs. 
Yeah, and and I think some people would say, well, pay a living wage and all this, you know, pay twenty dollars plus an hour, and then you may get those employees. I don't know how you feel about that, Neil. I agree with increasing the wages to where they need to be. I mean, this is proof of concept. It's like Amazon came here. They tried to hire 300 people at 15 bucks an hour. They got three people. So now they've increased the minimum wage at Amazon to 17 or $18 an hour, and they're filling the positions. Hmm. So I yep. totally agree with it that that's necessary to do. These blanket ideas of like, okay, minimum wage just needs to be this amount of money. I don't think that's really the way of doing it because at the end of the day, you can put that into place. All that's going to happen is the bottom line for expense, like to pay for stuff there is just going to go up. Like yeah. everyone's like, oh, like, okay, so I increased minimum wage to $20. Like we're winning. Woo. Like not really. Just everything that you sell at your store now is going to be 10% more expensive. Yeah. It's amazing how people don't understand inflation. It always comes like, you don't understand inflation, do you? You know, wage is a cost input and then the prices go up. You know, and then that's not saying I, we can do a whole episode on what you know wage ramifications are, and I think that'd be a great idea to, to talk to someone about that and bring them in. Uh, so we're not going to go in there, and I, I do think that you you need to pay people more, and you need to incentivize them to come come to work. But circling back to one of these the things about this this job recovery, this um, employment recovery, is that we're now ahead of schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Like people thought this was going to take a little bit longer. So when you talk about you know, job recovery being good, economic indicators being strong, what does that tell you? Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. You are putting me on the spot. Like, what do you mean by What's like, going up? Rates are going up. Oh, yeah, Our yeah, rates yeah, are going yeah, up. yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's- To combat this. Totally. So, and the Bank of Canada came out and said, no, we're not going to touch rates until the second half of next year. Yeah. But man, like rates are low. And if this was any other circumstance, I think the CPI index was up 4%. I saw that somewhere. Yeah. The goal is 2% a year, right? So the consumer price index essentially, really lay terms, measures inflation. It's 4% more expensive to buy stuff now than it was last year. And what they often do when you have all this inflation because they just printed all of this money. Mm-hmm. And there's this little like uh, – in some of the articles, they have this two-line summary. It's like, oh, and there might be some long-term ramifications of all the money we just spent and it could lead to financial crisis or <laughs> some sort of debt – payment problems with our federal government if, of course, the economy slows down. But in the meantime, <laughs> we did ride out what was a pretty dangerous situation and we shortened it. Like I think when they compared this to, say, the Great Depression, the job recovery was something like three times as quick. So we yeah. spent the money and we got right of the ship a little bit here. But man, that consumer price index, all that new printed money, um, we're talking about not having people for certain jobs. That's all inflation, which typically means interest rates increase. Almost always. And I think it's going to be big here because our rates are just so, so low. Yeah. Uh, and our debt ratios are poor. Even when you look like internationally, a lot of people in Canada are heavily in debt in comparison to some other places. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's, again, even if you look at our real estate, our real estate in general compared to a lot of places is more expensive than others. Uh, and so that forces people into a lot more debt than usually. Also, our like our dollar necessarily isn't the strongest thing. So a lot of items are more expensive. Uh, on a relative basis, whether it's a vehicle or something like that. Yep. Which forces We also have a very a spread debt. out population and that increases the cost per individual to do a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I think on the on the housing side of things, I think they'll have an impact on how quickly things continue to pace forward with single families. On the rental side, I foresee still a lot of strength, at least locally, just because again, the vacancy issues and you know what I mean? So I, I think those will yeah. still keep trucking along, but it might, people make it a little bit more selective. It's definitely not going to bring rents down. No, no. I, I mean, I don't think, obviously as someone who's looking to build and take on debt, I worry about rising interest rates, but I don't think it's going to be 
hugely impactful for secured debt. It's always the unsecured debt and stuff that you, you worry a little bit about. So anyway, that's what's in the news, some job recovery, some varying housing initiatives coming through the pipe and and either sounding promising or, or, or facing some struggles with the hot market. Uh, I do still think that the government get, needs to get more engaged, but it's nice to see some co-ops and nonprofits uh, finding a way to supply housing. I think that's going to be really promising and they'll be built in, in two years. So, hey, yeah, uh, this is why they should have started some of this stuff 10 years ago, but here we are. It's good. As long as there's a bunch of them in the pipeline now, yeah, it'll start to catch up eventually. Better late than never. Exactly. Um, changing now to our topic of the day. What are we going to talk about today? Today we're talking about goal setting. Yeah. This is really general and- This was just, it's a lot of people have given us this feedback, I think directly with text messages and just with some conversation that there's people who are asking about, I think the idea is more so like, again, it's it's along the idea of growth and how do you get to where, where maybe you're at or where I'm at in a certain amount of time and kind of how you get into that mindset and kind of progressing through that. And so a lot of people have asked us a lot of different questions. And this is just one item that I think we both agree is very important in growing, whether it's your business or your personal life, really anything you do. Uh, goal setting is really important. And I think a lot of people have heard that before because there's a lot of seminars on it. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of different products and items. It's like everything. Everything's been turned into a commodity of some sort. And so totally. And vision let's package boards. this goal setting. Exactly. Someone's goal was to sell a lot of goal setting programs. Exactly. And so there's yeah. a lot of that. But yeah, so I think I think we probably have a little bit of a different take on it slightly. Uh, so we can probably each maybe discuss what we what we think we do personally. Yeah, because you and I aren't goal setters in the traditional sense. Like we don't put the vision board up there, or maybe you do. No, no, there's not a Neil vision board. I would love to see that vision board. (laughs) 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 How cringeworthy would that vision board be? I'm just teasing. Yeah. So, and and even in what we do, like, do you do unit count specific, or do you do gross commissions or number of ends? Because obviously, we have our selling business as well as our. Yeah, so side things. I'll, I'll break through my whole setup. So I have like goal setting for everything that I do. So as a whole, like as a whole human being on a business front and a monetary front, I have goal setting based on purely literally dollar values. So I have dollar values that I want to achieve by certain years and ages. And then associated with those dollar values, I also have, I guess, rewards for achieving those dollar values that I have to, that I'm going to get myself. Oh, okay. Um, And it's very shallow, but it is what it is. And then as a a real estate agent, I have GCI, so gross commission income. I use that as my goal setting. I don't use ends uh, for the simple fact that you can do one end and make $100,000 or you could do 50 ends and make 10 grand. Yeah. Um, And so for me, I never really cared how many I was doing. I'm actually more interested in Less how, ends, more money. Yeah. How high can I get my GCI and how low can I get my ends? And so that one, I've never done ends. But yeah, so I have a GCI. So every year that I've been in, I've always set a number that I want to go after. GCI's gross commissions are earned income? Income. Gross, yeah. Um, and then for the other businesses, I, I've also set targets of like year-to-date revenues. Or in the, in the rental game, I have, yeah, basically unit counts that I want to achieve. That one, again, is a very funny kind of game because it's like you could have a year – where everything could go perfectly, but you never come across the right deals mm-hmm. and you're unable to get that growth. Yep. Or I have a year like I did, let's say like this year where I added, let's say 50 units, right? And so there's different year, like you, it's not so simple with that I find in general, but making sure that the growth is there uh, is important for me. So how do you determine these goals and, and how do you sort of put them out there? Because they say, you know, you have to either visualize it or write it down or tell someone these are the kind of tricks that you hear people talking about. But what do you do with these goals and how do you even come to determine yeah. what you want them to be? So like for the, again, for, for commission base, I don't know if it's going to be as interesting for a lot of people, but it's pretty simple. Uh, Remax has staged awards uh, based on your income. 
and I effectively just took their stages and put them into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I typically overshoot and go for like a bigger award than I probably have any opportunity of getting, but I do that with in mind so that I, I push myself for that. And although I might not achieve it, and I honestly a lot of time don't, I'll get a lower step award that I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. Like I'll kind of have the like, this is formally what I'm shooting for. I think for. they call that a stretch goal. Yeah, I do a stretch goal. That's yeah. exactly, I didn't know the term, but yeah, so stretch goal just to kind of help push me and then also to keep me fired up because the other thing is I'm very afraid of becoming complacent. If I'm achieving all my goals, I'm like, I don't really need to change anything or improve. Regarding my own personal, my own personal wealth, we'll say, my own personal objective as a, as a person, actually, I also have goals too for what I want to achieve on like, I don't want to say like a happiness scale, but like on on an enjoyment of ex- expectation for travel. But how do you even, quantify that? So so the 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 net worth the net worth one that was just kind of subjective to what I think is achievable, and some of it would sound insane. I, we may have to wait. I don't know if I want to say drop numbers, okay? But it, it was staged out in almost five year segments. Yeah, and really the first one, well, be honest, the first one was to make a million bucks, and to do that, I forget what I was in my whatever, in my 20s, I wanted to have it achieved by, so basically it was make a million bucks by 25. That was my first one. And I set that when I was probably like 18 or 19. And at that time I had six years. So I was like, all right, I'll figure some something out. But then by the time I was about 23, I was like, hot damn, this is a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> and so, yeah. But I, I, that was my very first real true, like big time goal. Do you mean make that in terms of Cash income or net worth? Net worth. Net worth. Yeah. Net worth. I want to have a net worth to be able to say that I have a million bucks effectively. When you sold that first duplex for thirty grand more than you bought it for and split it three ways, you're like, oh man, yeah. rolling this. This is rolling slow. Yeah, rolling this stone up the hill. This is rolling this somewhere. very yeah. big, big, big stone up a hill. And but honestly, it put a pressure on, and that was the kind of the turning point for me. Uh, in making my decision to not operate as an engineer. And for anyone who's around me in those two years between 23 to 25 would agree to say like I was in a full on like state. Like I went like full into this place where I was like I have to achieve this because I I, at that same time around my early 20s and and late teens, I had set all these goals for my life and things that I wanted. And I had decided that I'm going to make these happen no matter what, what it takes. And so I was like, if I miss this first one, then I'm the rest of them are just gone. Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I was so hell bent that I had to get that first one in place because if I didn't, the, I was going to miss all of the next targets, and my it was kind of I was going to lose that fire. There's so nothing I, like a deadline. Yeah, and so that deadline kind of hit me around 23. I was like, all right, this is needs to be real, and I went into this full I would say crazy mode to make it happen. I was very fortunate it did happen. And then as I was saying earlier, I associated basically awards or or presents or gifts, rewards for doing that and achieving those things. Now I was stupid and I didn't reward myself. Oh, okay. I I thought you were stupid and you bought yourself something. No, no, no. (laughs) I, uh, but I had a certain thing that I wanted to purchase for myself when I had 25. It's a car. It's a certain type of car. And I didn't do that. And at first I didn't really care. And then after I was, I think the year, like literally I turned 26 and like a month later I was like, why the hell? Didn't I do that? Mm-hmm. And I, I can't go back now and do that. If I right. do it now, like, it's still good, but it's, I it told wasn't. myself when I was 25, yeah. I was going to achieve this certain goal and I was going to do that for myself. And then I didn't do it. And then I also kind of just got, like, it just kind of washed by. And so there was mm-hmm. no excitement for achieving the goal. Um, and so I have some regrets now on not doing it, I'm trying to make up for it now. But I've told myself when I do the things at 30 and 35 and 40, I will do those things. But again, the numbers that I came up with, I would say very subjective to the person. And I didn't have like a set rhythm or reason why. 
I just made them what I thought was strong numbers with an expectation of making a certain achievement at the end of the goal. And I think that's part of, of how you determine your kind of your stages. You say, what's your end goal? Mm-hmm. Right. So you got to say, okay, I want to be at this level at the end. And then you can break it into those sections and try and make it reasonable. But you want to make it at a point where there is some pressure. Like if, if those goals, I'm again, like I said earlier, you, you got to make sure that they're, they're hard enough that you really got to push for them. Cause if they're not, you're not really going to enjoy it. Like if it just kind of rolls, like, like, all right, like I make a hundred grand a year. So in the next 10 years, I want to accumulate 200 grand cash in my bank account. That's a very achievable goal, which there's nothing wrong with, but if you're trying to grow and do these different things, that's not going to be great. If you're just trying to maintain your pace and be good about it and you're not necessarily the best at saving now, that's a very great goal. But if you're trying to be like, okay, I really want to grow this to be bigger and be something, then I think you really need to be cognizant of that and then push these goals to sometimes like, okay, I make 100 grand a year, I got 10 years, I want to have a million dollars in my bank. So yeah. now it's not as simple as me making this 100K because I have to spend money and live and pay taxes. I also have to find a way for this to generate extra income for me. Yeah. I think also, I mean, we're, we sort of shoot from the hip about this stuff like we do a lot of things. So there's a lot of literature out there on goal setting that would probably articulate a lot of this better than, than we have. I think, though, one of the things that's often mentioned is a goal has to be – for it to be a good goal, it has to be specifically defined. Yeah. And it has to have a timeline and there has to be a plan – there or the the semblance of a plan to get to that goal. 100%. So this is why like you can't be like, oh, I want to be like, what do you say when you're a little kid? Like, I want to be rich when I'm older. It's like, yeah. okay, well, what does rich mean? Uh, what does older mean? And how are you can make it happen? Yeah. So for something to be a, a real tangible goal, it has to be, you know, there has to be the quantitative thing. Of, this is what it is specifically. This is the timeline to do that. And then this is the workings of a plan in order to get there. And that's how you sort of flesh it out. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I would say actually in that time frame between 19 and 23, I was obsessed with coming up with a plan. And that was the time. Remember I said I read Forbes and I went through the list and saw mm-hmm. the top 500. I literally read through the list and I wrote down every single one what they have. And I went through what was the most common. You wrote down a list that was already there for you? Well, no, but I put it... <laughs> I sorry, I tabulated. I tabulated what the most common yeah, thing yeah, was. Yeah. So I had like the few items written out and I would just tab them up. Anyways, and real estate came out to be the number one. But prior to that, like I would literally I have scrapbooks, like hundred pages full of different ideas. And and they were all blown out on like what it would take me for time, what kind of investment it would take, what kind of return it would make. And I was and I was trying a ton of different things. Like I said, I was I was selling paint. I was there was there was the lawn thing. I never I don't know if I ever mentioned it, by the way. You didn't mention the selling paint thing. Okay. Well, two things then. So first off, my landscaping gig. Yeah. I didn't mention this. I called it longevity. Wow. I amaze myself. Tanner just took his headphones off. Like that's a mic drop. And the podcast. The podcast is not going to go up from here. Longevity. Longevity. Keeping your lawn greener longer. I don't know how I was so smart at that point in time, but also on a side note. Is that still copyrighted? I don't know. I did register it as a yeah. little like sole proprietor Longevity. business. One of the I remember I was standing in a guy's yard chatting with him, and he goes, uh, <laughs> "He goes, this is a great name. <laughs> it is a great name." And he's like, "How did you come up with this?" And I was like, "I honestly have no clue, but I think it's hilarious. But I think it's the bomb. I thought it was the greatest name That's ever. It's a great yeah. name. Anyways, someone can take that. Yeah. Now. I'm sure. No, I don't no, know no, anymore. no, no. We'll I license it. Yeah, actually, we're we'll licensed after it this. After this, but yeah. anyway, so there was that, and then yeah, there was a selling paint. Um, I don't know if I talked about that. You didn't. Okay, well, I'll do a quick little re- re- recap on that. So I 
wanted this certain type of paint. It's called Plasti Dip. It's a vinyl-based paint that's removable. And I saw it on YouTube, and it was in the States. And the guy was going on about how great it was. It's, it's removable? Yeah, I should show you this. It's very neat. Okay. It's a very cool product. Everyone take a look at it. Don't call me to buy it because I don't sell it anymore. But you spray it on. You can spray it on anything, and it would be that color. And then you can literally peel it off like a vinyl wrap or a piece of saran wrap, but it won't come off on its own. To the point where I I sprayed my car <laughs> wheels. Okay. And for years, it would never come off. Then when I went to go sell my car, I just peeled them off, and they're clean. So if you have a lease, you can bring your car back in. And so it started... It's actually a product that was used for like coating like a pen or yeah, like yeah. a hammer. It was actually a, an industrial product. Yeah. And then they they diluted it to make it so it's more usable for different products. And this other guy, I think his name's Fonzie, he started Pro Dip or some some brand in the States and he was selling it for cars. And he was doing wheels and then he started doing full cars and interior parts and on and on and on. Anyways, I wanted black wheels for my car. I'm in high school. I don't have 1800 bucks to go to a paint shop and get them painted. Uh, the car's not even worth 1800 bucks, yeah. And so I see this on YouTube. This guy can put it on there, and you can remove it. And so my parents are involved in my first car, so I'm like, I can't really do too much stuff, otherwise they're going to shoot me. So um, I, uh, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And he's going on and on. It's six dollars a can. I was like, this is the bomb. Go to Home Hardware, 28.99 a can. And I was like, what? Uh-huh. I was like, I don't have a hundred dollars to paint my rims. I had twenty-four dollars. I went in there expecting to pay twenty-eight ninety-nine to do all my whole car, <laughs> and they wanted per wheel. This is so good. So then I'm like searching online. Canadian dollars almost par at the time, like ninety-five yeah. cents or a dollar. I find the online U.S. supplier, and I'm, I'm like, making money. I'm like, you gonna send me? Can you send me these? Yeah, sure. You just gotta buy a box of it. It's eighteen cans or whatever it was. Guess who starts ordering boxes full of spray cans and filling his mom's basement with spray cans? Literally, my mom's basement. You'd walk in, and it was a sea. Of cans, all laid out by color, yeah. and I was buying them for bulk, probably like five bucks a can, maybe a little less, four seventy-five a can. I mean, I was selling them for twelve fifty to fifteen dollars a can here. To whom? I had <laughs> one ad on Kijiji, and I'm telling you, I had a string of people coming through the house every single day, every day, and and I'd sell them packages of four cans, which is a joke at the time. Even my parents kind of make jokes about it, and like, how much are you making? I'm like six bucks a can, four cans. I make twenty-five bucks, and they thought, everyone thought it was hilarious, and I'm like. Yeah. It's a good margin. Uh, I'm 17 years old and going to, or 18 years old, going to work at wherever for $10 an hour, that's two and a half hours of my time. Yeah. And I'm sitting here, I didn't do anything. I responded to a message on Kijiji. He showed up at the door, I handed it to him. And were they all just spray painting their own car wheels? Everyone was spray painting their own car wheels. And then I started selling kits to do full cars. I sold one to do a kit to do a full RV. Like a massive 50 foot. <laughs> and then people would peel it off later? Yeah. There's big giant sprayers and they'd spray their thing and then they'd peel it off later. And uh, and so I sold thousands and thousands and thousands of cans in my mom's basement, and uh, I should I should have gone to the point of making a website and selling Canada wide. Yeah. Um, but I never did because it was never a fan favorite for the family to have eight hundred pressurized vinyl based paint cans in the basement. There was yeah. a little bit of a smell there every time uh, you open a can, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's where it really all started. And then it transitioned into car parts and selling cars. But I mean, this is such a digression. This we're is gonna, a massive we're run out of time in this massive episode, digression. We already we've already screwed my time. But anyways, did back, you have a great name for that one? I didn't want to ask because we can't talk. I can't even. Yeah, so. no, it wasn't that one. It was just literally a GG. But long story short, these are all of the random things that I tried in my pursuit of basically a million dollars by twenty five, and and so there was no set path. I think a lot of people I talk to when I talk to them about this stuff is like, well, I don't have an idea. And I'm like, I don't think it's as simple as like you get this idea and you do it. Even like these yeah. people who do softwares and startups apps and, and startups yeah. and all these different things. And like, oh, like that was such a good idea. I'm like, ask him how many ideas he had before that that sucked. And so I had a lot of ideas that sucked. Like that 
paint can one's great, but to make a million dollars, I had to sell millions of cans of paint. So literally everyone- 200,000 cans of paint. Well, minus my, my expenses to do that, like yeah. on top of that, right? So like the overhead, even though, yeah, I'm making the margin, but so I would have had to sell literally everyone in Canada, Canada like everyone would have had black wheels in the city. Yeah. But, yeah. which is not possible. So there's just like a lot of things that you realize as you go on. And, and, but I learned a lot from that business and kind of handling those things and dealing with the customers and also what potential there was. And so that's why I'm always like, there's nothing too small. Everyone I talk to, like, I'm like, like what, what should I start with? I'm like, go buy a piece of furniture off Kijiji and refinish it and resell it. Like, there's tables on there for 20 bucks. You buy it, you buy the paint for 20 bucks, you paint it up. I bet you put it on for 150, it'll sell. You made $100. I mean, I mentioned this before. A lot of the smartest guys I know and who have been very successful at other things started off with effectively flipping cars and car parts. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting how that evolves into other entrepreneurial things. Getting back a little bit to the goal setting, I think why it's really important to have, okay, there's the goal and then there's the timeline and those both have to be specific. And then there's sort of the strategy. And I sort of have all my goal stuff a little bit more fluid. It's just generally been really big picture where I want to end up. And I should probably rein it in a little bit. But one of the things I found really interesting because I've been looking at revisiting some of, you know, my daily habits and my goals and all that currently. And usually my first thing when I'm interested in something, I go and I just read a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Read like, okay, what are people doing? Because no matter what your great plan is, someone else has done it before, thought about it um, in terms of shortcutting some solutions. I'm like, okay, why do people act the way they do? And then how can you how can you change that? And so I've been looking a lot at habits and how habits relate to goals. And I found it really interesting that the goal shouldn't necessarily be the thing. Like you should have this idea of the thing, but the goal should really become be to become the person who achieves, like the type of person who achieves that goal. I like that. Yeah. That that's the thing that I keep coming back to is really interesting. It's one thing to say, I want to make a million dollars by 25. Yep. If you have no idea, then the first thing you need to do is I want to become the type of person yep. who makes a million dollars by 25. Yes. And that key difference there sets it in motion of sort of, it, it's the catalyst of the idea versus the motion towards the activity, the, the, the becoming. Yep. And more often than not, you know, not to sound cliche, it's like, well, if you fall short of the goal, you're still becoming the type of person who sets goals and aims towards achieving them. Yes. And and I think that's such an important differentiation and it's so powerful to be like, okay, I want to become the type of person who does these things. And when that sort of relates to building better habits, because I've been, again, trying to look at some things and building better habits, one challenge I've realized about myself, and I've probably said it on here because I say, say it all the time. I'm like a, a go big or go home type guy, yeah. right? If I'm in something, I'm all the way in. The problem with that mindset is if I'm out of something, I tend to be all the way out. And if you build it up to like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this corner. I'm going to become this type of person. I'm going to go 150%, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes you will build it up to be such a gigantic thing yep. that you delay the starting. Big and time. I used to be that way. I'm like, okay, you know, if even with some people say, all right, I'm going to go back to the gym. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to go sit seven days a week, hour and a half, and maybe extra cardio at night. And they build up to be this huge thing. And then what do they do? They never start. Yeah. And so one of the it's things I- daunting, I've, daunting. Yeah, yeah. You, you build it up to be so big. And you can imagine people pining away and being like, oh my God, like 
I just need my idea. I just need my idea. It's like, no, start first with becoming the type of person who comes up with these ideas, Yeah. which is putting yourself in certain scenarios, surrounding yourself with certain people, educating yourself in these things. Yeah. You know, become the type of person who reaches these goals and then the goals will take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah it's funny you say that. I, I, That's a really smart thing. I am like 100% on board with that. I never even realized that, I think, in myself. But I think that's what part of what was had to be done. Like I think in reading all that stuff and doing those different things, I think that's part of becoming that person. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to say, but you obviously said it much better. But I think it's subscribing to like subscribing to your goals, subscribing to the lifestyle and and making the transition. And also, yeah, like you said, don't overshoot. I'm all about overshooting, but don't overshoot necessarily in the short term and don't try and make the transition overnight. Like like you just said, I know so many people that that's the gym one is such a common one. Like, Man. like all right, I'm on a diet, I'm never eating uh, tasty food again and I'm like you're going to do that for two weeks and hate yourself like totally if you're eating tasty food three days a week right now then let's scroll that back to two and then do that for a while get very comfortable with that and scroll back to one it's just like if you go to the gym you can't just expect to be like alright I'm going to bench 400 plates and lift yeah. the whole house yeah you're going to lose the first day you're going to yeah. work up to that yeah and I think again my challenge is as someone who is like, no, no, I got to turn the switch. I got to turn the switch. Is that you make it to be this big thing yeah. instead of putting in the little bits of process of which, you know, I certainly tell other people to do that. And I talked about this once with my son in skateboarding where I was running this micro experiment on him. Like, what if you did something a little bit every day? How much better you can get? And so, as I mentioned, and one of the things- listen to this and come back and be like- No, like he can really freaking skateboard, man. The kid can, <laughs> the kid can shred. Yeah. One of the things, like a book that I just finished reading over, over the holidays and I had never heard of it before. I just kind of came across it. And, and since then, everyone's been like, oh yeah, that's a great book. And uh, it's called Atomic Habits, I think by James Clear. Okay. It's it's certainly worth a read if anyone's listening to this. Check it out. It's called Atomic Habits. I'm not, you know, I don't get any money for it. I say, James, if you do yeah. want to kick us back $10. But one of the interesting things, it, it's changed how I've looked at some of these things that incremental progress kind of has a compounding effect, which is what we all know and it's what we tell other people. But it was important to me because I am such a binary thinker that, you know, I sometimes am hurt on myself if I don't do a full pivot, even when we've talked about what changes I want to make in my work balances, not between work and personal, but between different streams of income. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I got to cut it back. I got to hack one to 50% so I can go over here. So maybe that's not the truth. Maybe there is a gradual process. But yeah. a couple of the interesting anecdotes. This is the first one. If I gave you a dollar, would, I, would you say that you're rich? No. No. If I gave you another dollar, no. If I gave you no. another dollar and another dollar and another dollar and another dollar, to c continually by giving you a bunch of dollars over time, at some point, you would be rich. Yes. So the $1 doesn't make someone rich, but then at a certain point, $1 does make someone rich. Right? There is that tipping point. It's the same thing with 1% improvements on things. Do you understand what I'm saying? 100%. Yeah. So you may think I'm only making a 1% improvement each time, but at a certain point, that adds up to be a lot. And I found that a really interesting little analogy of like a dollar doesn't make you rich, but at some point a dollar does make you rich. Yeah. And then I saw something else. I can't remember where I saw this. This interesting thing about some cold-blooded animals, but a frog, if you put a frog in a cold pot of water mm -hmm. and slowly turned it up, they will boil to death and they will never notice a difference in temperature. Right? And this is like this small incremental change <laughs> thing. I'm getting kind of abstract here a little bit. But these are these interesting things about incremental changes for someone like myself who always thought it had to be make or break. It had to be 
you know, all or nothing, go big or go home, that these small little changes become, as he words it, and then this, I'm paraphrasing this author, that every decision or every action you make is a vote for the type of person you want to become. Yeah. Which I think that that really resonated for me on a, okay, you know, we are a sum of these micro decisions and these micro improvements that we can make. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that about daily habits and goal settings, everything that you accomplish or everything you decide to do or not do is a vote for the type of person you want to become. So think of young Neil mm -hmm. taking these little steps. You were effectively voting for yourself to be today's version of you. If yep. you look at it back. So I, I just found that super, super interesting. Yeah, no, same. I'm just really, I'm like, if I put my hand in a pot of water and then I slowly turn it, I'm going to try this tonight. It's for a frog. It's a frog that happened. Did, did you miss the part where I said it's a frog and cold-blooded <laughs> animals? Yeah, don't do it to yourself. You'll notice it. Okay. But a frog would just boil to death in there without noticing the change. Um, so this is also like, that. that's the negative consequence of not doing something, not starting. The same The same process happens in, on the reverse. Yeah, man. 100%. 100%. If you continuously make those those decisions that aren't necessarily beneficial for you, eventually they start to compound. And I think, actually, I see, I can I can agree. I've done that as well. Like sometimes I'm like, ah, whatever, I'll, what's, what's another day or what's another this? And then it starts to reverse, have that impact. But I think... What you're saying is 100% true. I think it's getting the feeling of reward along the way that makes it really tough. Because in those first 1% yeah. days, in those first $1 days, you're like, man, I, I did the I did what I was supposed to do. I made the right decision. I've been doing this now for two months or three months, but I still am not rich or I'm yeah. still not shredded out of my mind. Yeah. And, and you don't feel – that's where I find a lot – that's the big hurdle. I find that there's no yeah. – it's hard to get past. Um, you need a reward mechanism of some type for sure. You have to find a yeah. reward mechanism of some type. Like actually I'll say mine for working out. Uh, this was a big one that helped me because I used to be fine about when I was a little bit younger. I had the time and the energy to kind of go. And as times have gone on, I'm starting to lose that excitement for it. Mm -hmm. But now my reward mechanism, as lame as it sounds, I switched my protein powder. I used to drink plain protein powder, mm -hmm. which is a little psychotic to begin with. But I switched to chocolate flavor. And Treat so it, yourself. Exactly. So now when I'm like, I want something chocolatey and sweet, I go to the gym and it's already in my head. Like when I'm at the gym, mm -hmm. I'm just pumping out and I'm like, okay, I got these six exercises left. If I can slam these out, I'm going to get home and I get to have my chocolate protein. I got myself a little chocolate. I got myself a little chocolate. So I'm, <laughs> that's all I'm waiting for. The I whole time it. I'm at the no, gym, yeah. that's all I'm thinking about. Like I don't care about anything. I just want my banana chocolate protein. And, and here's, the, here's the funny thing. You want to know what you're doing there is like reward associating habits. Yeah. Right, like everyone knows, like uh, we'll have these examples. When I do this, I do that afterwards. Yeah, like and so some people, if you're heading down one track, it's like when I sit down and watch TV, I get my chips. And so you've trained your brain to these things, yeah. Whether you know it or not, it's like uh, what's it, Pavlov's dog or whatever, the one that hears a voice and then starts to salivate. Yeah, like you. This is what you train your brain to do. So what you're doing is retraining your brain to associate a finished workout. Um, that may have been had negative associations to a positive association. As silly as that little, you know, yeah. reward is, it does matter. And the other thing I think is just reminding yourself in those moments where you don't have a tangible success because you set this goal of like, no, no, but everything I've done here it has been a vote for you know me to become the person that I want to be. Right. In that same note, I want to say you've got to follow that rule though. Because if I start making myself chocolate protein shakes without going to the gym, <laughs> yeah, then we got a problem. If I realize, but you won't, you won't, because you set up the like habit stacking. 
this right. is true, but it's it's easy to undercut to yeah. undercut those things. So it's really important that you kind of you kind of take the willpower. And again, at, at first, it's you don't have to go one hundred percent. Like right, you go out, you go to a small bit, and yeah, you might do them at both times. But slowly, you got to just keep in mind in the back of your head, like, okay, I'm working towards this. So trying to, let's say, wean off the chocolate protein when you're not going to the gym and isolating it for purely when you do go to the gym. I'm using it as an example. Okay. Wait till Neil tries chocolate milk. It's going to blow his mind. <laughs> <laughs> they, they make it like that? They make it like that? <laughs> Without uh, that nasty, chalky flavor oh in the back? Gosh. So uh, good. But yes, that's I 100% I agree. So I, I like how you've said it. And that's, that is important because I'm... And I probably like even this one. I this one thing. I I made that as a big item, but there was a lot of little steps along the way yeah. uh, that I I would say I I set up as certain target goals. Again, my biggest my biggest personal thing that I think I screwed up in doing it was not rewarding myself for what I did because it mm-hmm. led to being. There was definitely a time there, uh, in burnout, my, man. Yeah, burnout, yeah. and just like a kind of like, why am I doing this? Like, why the frig am I doing yep. this? I don't feel any happier. I'm not mm-hmm. achieved anything better. Like nothing has changed. Like it's it was the stupidest thing. I was literally standing there at my house. And I was like, "This is brutal." And, and I think like th- there's some people who are that like find your why, find your why, find your why, right? Mm-hmm. And if you ask the question why five times over at every level, like why do I want to do this? Why do I want to do that? You know, you'll see how many whys it takes to get through actually like the crux of of what you're doing, and that can be gratifying. It's worth checking in on that. Do you find yourself more motivated by uh, rewards or more motivated by the threat of the opposite? Failure, punishment, whatever you want to call it. Carrot or stick, basically. Are you a carrot or a stick person? Because most people, would you believe, are stick people. Really? Yeah. The fear of not? The fear of a negative consequence motivates them much more than the potential of a positive outcome. I'd like – okay. I would say I feel like a lot of people have a fear – okay, I feel like a lot of people are held back by the fact that they have a fear of a negative outcome. Like they're not willing to necessarily take some risks and make the change. Well, so – Which I guess is kind of the same thing to what you're saying. Remember we talked about how a lot of people who are raised in Western middle class, which is a disappearing thing, they, they're paralyzed by this ultimate fear of not wanting to fall out of the middle class. Yeah. Right? And so what they do is actually replicate – their life and, and try to preserve their life without running the risk of, you know, trying for something more, right? They're actually, the fear is what kind of keeps them where they are, right? So they're, they're motivated by fear to stay low, as opposed to you would think being motivated by the potential, the carrot of, my gosh, what if I climb, you know, and, and make more money and grow wealth and take these risks? They're actually more motivated by the, the fear. I'll put it to you this way. And then this is how I know this is true, other than the fact that most people don't take risks, Right. People are motivated to stay where they are because the fear motivates them to stay there as opposed to the potential care. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a situation where, say you really didn't want to go to the gym? Yeah. Right? And someone said, listen, Neil, but if you go to the gym, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Okay. You'd probably still be like, ah, right? Yeah. But if you didn't go to the gym and had to pay me a hundred bucks. I'd be there. You'd be there. It's the same hundred bucks. It's the same net $100. Mm-hmm. People are always more motivated by something being taken away than means something given. And and people, maybe that's not a good example. Imagine if someone had to do something every day for 14 days, and at the end of the day, at end of the two weeks, you told them you were going to give them $500. Mm-hmm. A lot of them would not do it. Yeah. But if you told those same people that at the end of the two weeks, they had to give away $500, they would actually be more motivated by that. It's just kind of an interesting little thing. That is, yeah. Um, but- 
with all that being said, I think I am a stick person because I think the proof was when I got to my goal and uh, 25 and all that, I didn't buy myself the carrot. Most people are stick stick motivated. I think yeah. I think I might be stick yeah. motivated, but I, everyone is. But that that makes it all the more important to also give yourself the carrot because you're already doing the stick motivated stuff. You're doing yeah. that, but like imagine if you had have both the stick and the carrot there, be it the fear of failure and the joys of success, man. Like give yourself both. Yeah, you have one automatically. That's human nature. I, I think I think the culture. I don't know if it's Canadian. Tanner just stepped on a bunch of pile of glass of my award that broke that I still haven't cleaned up. <laughs> Broken glass everywhere. Everywhere. I think the other touchy thing with the carrot concept, though, is, is it is good to reward yourself. But I think the reason people are sometimes hesitant to do so is it's not like celebrated quite as much. I always say this. In the States, they celebrate your success. In Canada, they're not as keen to do so, mm-hmm. um, which should be interesting because we have predominantly Canadian people that listen. So I'll be curious to hear what they have to say. But uh, Also here in the Atlantic Canada. We don't, we don't like people getting a little do flashy. Exactly. And so I think that has an impact on people's desire to want to reward themselves. Like it's an awkward thing to reward yourself. Like even if nobody, nobody knows where you're from. So even you started with zero, you got nothing, everything's going poorly for you. You busted your butt for five years and you went out and bought yourself like a Hermes suit or a bag or something, right? So clearly people know what it is because it's got the big H on it. Have you seen what I wear to these things? <laughs> yeah, so Chandler's going to go out and buy the nicest Hermes. I just show up here in my hoodie. This is like the first time I haven't worn a hoodie, I think, to the show. Look at, I show look at the guy. Uh, like, good news is, good news is, they make six sweaters. Oh, so that's, that's we got true, man. You There's some crazy Gucci cardigans. Woo! Okay, so anyway. Chandler busts his butt, buys himself the Gucci cardigan, <laughs> and he's out on his lunch date, and somebody's like, like, who do you think you are? Like this guy. Oh yeah, yeah. this guy. Like, this guy. Oh my god! Imagine yeah. Mister Mister Top Agent coming around in his Gucci cardigan, <laughs> thinking he's all that in a bag of chips, and you're like, "Come on!" Like I I I don't see why I'm unable to to do that. And I yeah. think I think yeah. that's again. I think it's very perpetuated here locally. It's also across Canada, yeah, and in general. And I understand some of the background to it, but I think that's also part of the reason people are afraid even to reward themselves sometimes. Yeah. Because it, it's so frowned upon. Like it's almost become, even in general with goal setting, like once you start to achieve things, you're going to find the people around you aren't as stoked as you might think. When, when you're not doing it, everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, sweet, dude, you're going to start this business. It's going to be sweet. And then yeah. when your business is sweet, nobody's going to be happy for you. <laughs> not nobody, but a lot of people are not going to be happy for you. Uh, no comment. You know, yeah. Well, no, seriously. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying this from yeah. a place for my own, like my own stuff, but when I be honest, when I became a realtor, everyone thought it was the funniest thing ever, and everyone was subscribing to the idea of like, oh, like, haha, Neil's becoming a realtor, and like they're commenting on my stuff, and everyone's pumped and whatever, and everyone wanted to talk about it. But then as the business took off, then they're a little bit more like, oh, like what the hell, like screw that guy, because like then it's not as you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. It's, they don't. That's true. So I think there's a lot of awkwardness that people. I think that's another part of the thing that people face when they're trying to get these goals. It's like. Not everyone's it's, stoked. Even if you're going to get like ripped at the gym, like not everyone's pumped that you're now yeah. super Some fit. people think things are finite and happiness and wealth and success are finite. Yep. Meaning if I have it, that means you have less of it. Yeah. Some people, that's just the way their mind thinks. It's not the way that successful people think. Yeah. Um, so again, it all becomes about surrounding yourself with the right people surrounding yourself with a support system, you know, culturally, environmentally, that wants you to succeed. Because I'm telling you, the most successful people I know, they're sharers. They're not takers. They're not hoarders. Yep. They are sharers. So, you know, and part of the goal is like, all right, if I want to become this thing that I'm over here, 
part of the what I would do every single day is find like-minded people and help me become the person who achieves that goal. The goal will come if I become the type of person who meets those goals. If yeah. you become the type of person who gets up and runs every morning, yeah. then you will run a marathon. But yeah. if you wake up and say, my goal is to run a marathon and I have no plan, it's like, no, you first need to become a runner. Yeah. Right. And you can even break that down and be like, all right, I'm first going to become the type of person that respects myself enough to care about my health. And then I'm going to become a runner. And then, you know, so it's all about building the person you want to be and the goals will take care of themselves. But if you surround yourself with people who think the same way and, and want to celebrate your successes with you. So important. So important, man. So yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're showing people that don't want to run in the morning and all your friends are being like, nah, don't run, come to brunch. Yeah. Then you then not only are you well, having it's to- it's not hate on brunch. Well, runs is pretty awesome. But then you're not only having to make the decision of like, I have to go running, which I don't really want to do. Yeah. I'm additionally doubling down by losing the social interaction that I was also looking forward to doing. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. So it's, it's, sometimes it's, yeah, you got to watch out with picking and choosing. Yeah. We're running out of time. Man, one last thing, just because like, I, I was curious to your thoughts on this and I just think it's a good place to leave it because if we want to talk about, okay, there's goal settings, but we also need to celebrate our successes and, and be happy where we are. Yeah. You know, you, you can, you can be happy where you are while also wanting to have more. Yeah. I thought about this whole thing, like, okay, how does this apply to me and how am I going to internalize this and put this into my everyday life? Mm -hmm. And I now have this question that I'm going to start asking myself when I do business decisions. Does this make me more of what I am or does this make me more of what I want to become? I like that. Right? Because even if it just makes me more of what I am, that's not necessarily bad. But I think I should realize and recognize that that is a lateral, you know, stay where I am thing. Or does it make me more of what I want <laughs> to become? Right? And and I'm really excited about that question. It's what I'm going to ask myself on on a lot of things moving forward. I like that. I yeah. like that. And I think I've, I've told you before where I'm at. I'm in the very same thing. Anytime I make a decision now, I've made some mistakes before uh, in purchasing some companies uh, that I realized after the fact, although it was all exciting and I thought it was just part of the game, I realized they weren't part of my end mission and what I was wanting to do, what kind of time commitments I was involved in. Yours is a little bit, I think, more broad to your entire life and is probably a little bit more applicable. But for me, again, I, I think very business, pure, almost purely business, probably a little too much. But I always, when I'm now looking at stuff, I'm like, wait a second, what's my end goal mm -hmm. and how does this play into it? Totally. Right? And yeah. so does it make sense exactly with what I want to do? Is it is it moving me forward? But I would just say that some of those mistakes you went through that you had, in the moment, they were you doing things that were making you more of who you wanted to be. Right? Even though they yeah. may, maybe didn't work out the best way, you were still becoming the type of person who takes risks, the type of person who thinks big, the type of person who tries to set up systems to bring in income, you yeah. know, you were becoming the type of person you wanted to. So you were going through the process. It's just not a direct line, yeah. but you were getting 1% better. I, exactly. And exactly. That, that's a big thing. No, there's no regret. There's no regret on, on doing those things and any of those things that you do, no matter what it is, will benefit you. Trying something new, trying to kind of step out of your comfort zone, learning something new, all those things, studying the habits, all of that, whether it's like directly to your life, your money, your relationships, all those things, I'm a big, big advocate that those things will will help you and, and benefit you. Like I said, it's the 1%, it's the $1 every day, and it'll it'll pan out. Yeah. But 
Awesome. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have some ideas on this or questions, uh, I know we actually had a few questions we're going to address. We'll do it next time. Yep. But just anything you're thinking of, because I know a lot of people, it's, it's, there's a mental block on a lot of this. It's, okay, so now I understand all the systems. I have all the people, and I'm still struggling to make that, that commitment. So if that's you or you, you have a question relating to that, like let us know. We, we would love to, to kind of dissect it, give you our, our mindset. It's not necessarily the case for everyone, but again, it's, it's what I think has worked for us for some of our, some of our stuff. Yeah. And hopefully some people have taken some things from this, like, okay, yeah, you know, I've, I've listened, I've heard these things now, what's going to be the impetus, what's going to be the catalyst or whatever to, to start action. And maybe, maybe this motivates. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like, like comment, subscribe. I know it's super cliche, but we really actually do need it and want it and love it. Yeah. So please help us out because now we're, we're, we're getting this thing rolling and we want to kind of take it a little bit bigger. So absolutely. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Woo! When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.